Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Ben Stoddard. I'm Brandon Rossbond. And I'm Mark Zielinski. Welcome to another episode of the Narrative Workshop. Oh, I am so excited tonight. We have another Kings of War novel. Yay, Nature's Night. It's finally here. And, of course, uh, this one's a very unusual book. We've talked about it before because we have several authors that have collaborated on the book. And we happen to have two of those authors with us tonight, Mr. Ben Stoddard and Mr. Brandon Rossbond. How are you guys doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good. I'm tired. Uh Finally wrapped up the work week and getting ready to go into the weekend, but uh, it's it's going pretty good for me. <laughs> I'm about the same, you know. My uh, my work week ends tomorrow, so I'm uh, I'm a little exhausted, but I'm uh, I'm doing good. Well, you know, I'm the same way. Ended up the work week, but I'll be back at work on Sunday morning, so it is just what it is. So <laughs> it's my favorite time of the weekend. It is Friday night and going into Saturday, so. Absolutely fantastic. So, well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we've got another novel here in the uh, series of novels coming up from Wing to Sar Publishing. So I'm very, very excited to be talking about that tonight. But first, as tradition on the show, why don't we go around the horn, find out what everybody's doing for hobby just in general. So, Ben, you're up first tonight. What are you working on out there? It's kind of hard to keep track sometimes. You talk about hobby ADD, and I've definitely got that. Uh, currently, right now, I've got to focus as I've got to get some stuff ready for refugees. It's coming up in October. Um, I'm currently working on all the trophies. I like to uh, hand paint all of the trophies that I hand out for at least most of the big awards, so like Best Painted and Best General. I finished both of those and I actually put up a blog post about them on on Facebook a little bit and got a little bit of a response from that. Right now, currently, I've got the countercharger one on on my desk, which is uh, I, this year I'm going with, with like busts of different fantasy warrior esque kind of things. And for the countercharger, I found a a cool um, goblin bust that's like a distant cousin to Blaster. Other than that, I've got an Order of the Green Lady Army coming, which is very fortuitous timing considering the topic of this show um i had uh, awesome kerrigan printed out for me 3d printed out for me it's from the lost kingdoms miniatures line they did a kickstarter a little while back and did a bunch of knights from that and they were so cool and i was super bummed because i couldn't find a way to print them because i am not willing and ready to get into that aspect of the hobby yet so somebody mentioned austin so i had him come up and Awesome. I figured he's probably one of the best people to do it because he knows what a good model shop like he does. So that's fantastic. I should do that myself. Is he taking requests? Has he got a little home business going there now? Or yeah, he does. So um, I'm not sure how how much he advertises for it, but um, I know he has put out the word beforehand, and he's got a couple of different printers. So I, I'm not sure if he's looking to make it. I, I don't know if it's like his 
main gig or if it's a side gig for him, but he, he, he does that for, for various companies and he, any, any charges for his services, but, uh, you know, you're getting a good product from him. So I, I'd say it's worth it. And actually it came out to be about the same price as what it would cost for about an equivalent sized, well, actually probably a cheap GW army. So it's, it's, it's a pretty good deal and the miniatures look fantastic. So I'm excited about it. Awesome. Well, we're going to see more and more of that happen. So as we go along, 3D printing is getting very big and lots of topics of discussion going on with uh, what's that going to do to our games and our miniature companies, etc. So, all right, Brandon, I know you're really busy and I mean, books are usually on your hobby table, but uh, any models or what are you working on? Well, I got a little bit of a mixed bag right now. Um, I'm in the process of moving, so uh, I've been boxing all my miniatures up, which is nice seeing everything I have and what I still have to paint. I found out I have two um, Basilean warbands, which I don't know how I ended up with two of them, but I have two of them, so I'm going to have to find time to put them together. Um, Just recently, I got my wife a painted... Uh, miniature off a of Hero Forge. I think I mentioned on the last podcast I was on, um, but Hero Forge is a really cool website, and you can make your own miniatures and colorize them and everything. And so I got her miniature for our D and D game. So I've got my main character and her main character printed out and colored, and they're really nice quality. I enjoy it. Um, and then in the book aspect, I just finished the first draft of Rise of the Celestians. I posted the cover art on Facebook recently. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out in Fanatics. Really happy with how that turned out. We have original art for that. I'm working on the first draft of James Dunbar's Claws on the Plains. And uh, soon I will be working on Scott Washburn's uh, Halfling novel. So a lot on my plate as always, but, you know, it's all good. It's all fun. Speaking of halflings, John Fox posted up a uh, new picture to Fanatics. as a banner in the background. It had uh, halflings on it, like a little uh, orc or troll guy with a... You know, it looks like he's mowing the lawn with a halfling on his back. That doesn't have anything to do with the book, does it? <laughs> no, but that, you know, I have to have Scott listen to this and say, hey, look, there's an idea. We could sneak it in. There you go. I didn't know, I, you know, what the cover art is, if it's been uh, finalized or not yet. So I was just wondering if a snippet of that was going to be on the cover. So but it's very idyllic, so. It actually has been finalized, and um, that picture that uh, Matt Gilbert's been sharing in the groups about the uh, halfling uh, presentation that they're going to have uh, this weekend, that's actually the cover art that we're using. It's like uh, the halflings riding on a road on like the small ponies. That's what we're going to be using for the cover of it. Oh, there you go. That, that might be the picture that uh, John posted up. So I'll have to send it over to you. You'll have to take a look at it for me. So speaking of which, yes, very excited. We got another Mantic day so to speak uh, tomorrow morning so we'll see what's uh, announced and uh, what type of exciting stuff we can look forward to with regards to kings of war armada and uh, just kind of in general i think so very very cool for myself i am working on the basilands right now why well because i'm afraid to paint my halflings i've got my entire halfling mounted force done i started painting the horse archers and you know, I just don't have my muscle memory because uh, I haven't really painted, bulk painted an army in a while. You know, I just kind of mess around and I really need to get my chops back, so to speak. So I'm painting the Basileans that I picked up. And uh, thank you, Brandon and Vince. I picked up my Basilean army over there at the Wing Tassar website. So, and what's the address for that website again, Brandon? 
Uh, it's a super easy one. It's WHP, as in Winged Husser Publishing, supplyroom.com. All one word, WHP, supplyroom.com. We got all your reading, painting, and hobby needs on there. Absolutely. So I picked up my uh, Vaseline Army from there, threw a bunch of the minis together, and so I'm working on my 500-point force. So I'm painting those. I'm, I'm working on the horses right now for the Cav. I'm a little worried about doing the infantry. I'm really not a big fan of grinding out blocks of infantry, so I'm trying to do minimal model count. It's just 500 points for you know goofing around with here in the house. It probably will never see competitive play ever, so I'm just trying to do it for myself and you know, like I said, try to get back into the swing of, uh, you know, batch painting an army. So I've just been goofing around with individual figures and thinking that I've been painting an army with my hobby ADD that evidently I infected Ben with. I'm just kind of moving along. So, but I, I'm committed. I'm going to try to finish them. Right now I'm trying to figure out what kind of bases I want to do uh, while I'm base coding. So very, very cool with that. Also a quick shout out to Unplugged Radio. I am starting to attend their Monday night paint sessions over there on uh, Google Meet, I believe. And so that's been fun. So a big shout out to the guys over there. It's been a good time uh, painting with everybody and uh, a lot of talk with Masters coming up. So we can't wait for that as well. So, all right, very, very good. Well, why don't we go ahead? We're going to slide into our first commercial break. We're going to come back on the other side and we're going to dive into the main topic tonight. And that is a new novel from Zvok Books slash Wing Tazar Publishing. And that is Nature's Night. There's only one Cox. In King's Four. <laughs> Hello, I am Daniel King, and you are listening to Counter Charge. And welcome back. All right, well, here we go. I can't wait. Usually we have one author joining us. Tonight we have two, so I'm very, very excited. And, you know, the interchange we're going to make is we're going to drop some spoilers tonight. So get you all psyched up. This episode should be coming out the day before the Treewayer version of the book is released. And so hopefully this will give you an idea of what to expect a little bit with the reading and, you know, getting into the book and everything. So I'm very excited to bring this to you tonight. So Brandon, my friend, I'm going to turn it over to you and tell us a little bit about Nature's Night. All right. So... I, I figured we talked, the last show I was on, we talked a little bit about the non-spoilery aspect of Nature's Night, but we've had a handful of uh, orders already for the ebook, um, which is available on our website, and it should be, actually, by the time this posts, it should be available on Amazon as well. So if you haven't already been interested about Nature's Night, uh, we kind of figured, let's drop some spoilers to get you maybe a little bit more interested in it. Some, you know, it's one thing to say what you can't say in spoilers and it's another thing to kind of let it all out because then there's just there's some more stuff we can talk about that you know we wouldn't normally be able to say um but to go over the basis of what the book is if you don't know this was originally a book conceived by one author based off of a story in the the edge of the abyss anthology we put out but you know when working with mantic we decided to uh, rework the whole concept of the novel to be more accurate to the version three rule book when that came out the brotherhood and the brotherhood was pretty much off limits to us when we first got into this. And, uh, we had so many brotherhood submissions for novel, even Mark Barber, his original steps of deliverance pitch was a brotherhood novel and it had to get uh, shot down. So it was the number one requested like pitch from fans. But, uh, so once we were able to start doing it, we said, let's, you know, as a collaborative idea, we said, let's go into the brotherhood because we haven't touched it yet and it's got some really cool stuff with v3 that we can you know 
explain and explore now. So one of the things when we were rethinking the novel, so let me start, step back a little bit. So when we decided to rework this, we brought in a couple more authors to kind of try something new. Usually we have multiple authors work with us on anthologies, and those are, you know, standalone stories that aren't connected in any way. But with this, we wanted to try something that we've never done before, but Vince has done it over in Black Library, where it's one connected tale, but there's multiple authors working on it. So originally, um, it was me, Mark DeSantis, and Mark Barber, and then we reached out to Ben to have him work with us, and then, you know, to try to expand a little bit more, we reached out to James Dunbar, since he had a novel coming out soon you know we wanted to get a little bit more creative juices flowing so one of the first things and uh ben maybe i'll let you talk about this because i think this was your idea is one of the things we talked about was the force of gala here and the dark things that reside within yeah absolutely that was one of the big things that uh because i remember brandon contacting me one night um i was just sitting there laying in bed and i got a message from you saying hey would you be interested in working on this and the first thing that we did is we got the creative team together for the book and uh, just started swapping back and forth ideas and kind of things and as most readers will know i'm 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 the the dark spooky one of the of the authors that have come out so far so I'm the one that might have a need for some a bit more therapy, which is really good for the creative process, I found. But we started swapping things around and be like, so how are we going to take this? Um, and originally, as Brendan pointed out, is that we had the idea that, well, we wanted to incorporate the short story in the Edge of the Abyss book, uh, the anthology from before. We wanted to incorporate portions of that story, but we didn't know where to where to take it from. And so I can't remember who it was. I, I think it went, by the time I'd gotten involved, the Brotherhood was already decided that that was kind of the direction that we were going to go. But we didn't know exactly which which way to take it from there. And I remember reading in the rule book, in the version two rule book, and I think it's reiterated again in the version three, um, that Galahir, because uh, the Green Lady is a force of balance, she has light and darkness within Galahir. There's some places in the forest that are kind of like there. You've got Mirkwood and you've got um, Lothlorien mixed together, basically. So you've got parts of the forest that you don't go if you want to walk out again, and then there's other parts of the forest that are that are okay for certain people to go or are a bit, a bit more welcoming. And I think I, I can't remember who suggested it, but we kind of came up with the idea of well, what if we went in that direction and we explored some of the darker parts because up to this point in the lore, the green lady, while she says she's neutral, we never really see the, she's always been on the side of the good guys basically. And so what are some things in the forest that might not be so good and why would they not be so good? Why would that become why would there be the darkness in there? And so we kind of played around with that until we came up with the idea of starting already into the spoilers here. Instead of focusing on the usual big bad guys of the abyss, let's let's do the new hotness that Mantic has that really is unique to what Mantic has created. And let's let's play with some of the Night Stalkers, right? Let's bring them, and it makes sense that there might be like that might bring about some of the darkness, but like like uh, like a body. Sometimes the sickness will help make the body stronger. It'll bring in antibodies. It'll, the body, once the body fights it off, it becomes stronger and stuff like that. 
And so he decided to go in that direction a little bit of, well, let's look at this a little bit. What, why would the forest have this infection? Where would it come from? How are we going to deal with it? And then on top of that, how is that going to affect our main character, Dylan, the, uh, the, and incorporate the story from Edge of the Abyss and work that all together? Um, and from there, it developed, and we kept coming up with different ideas, and we kept shooting things back and forth. And I remember for a good about two months, we just sat and discussed over chats and Google Docs, and uh, I think we even had a few – conference calls where we got together which is really fun when half of us are in american time zones and half of us are in london and england time zones but i remember just throwing ideas back and forth and just it was a hailstorm of this and that and at the time when this was coming out i remember mark barber was like well i've got another project which you all know now and most of you have probably read which was pious that he was working on at the same time almost as this Uh, as this project and so he was he was really busy and he was spitting out ideas and we were coming up with different things and we were communicating with mantic and it it was a very hectic process but it was a lot of fun to kind of just spit those ideas out it was uh and and bounce them off of each other so it was really interesting that aspect of the process it's interesting how this novel developed because originally when we set out to do the novels i mean the first three authors we contracted were you ben Mark Barber and Mark DeSantis. And I remember very clearly the first call that we had where the, the four of us were kind of talking about the ideas for our novels. And originally, like the, the three novels were supposed to have very interconnected themes and ties because it was the first three novels were supposed to be Basilean themed, but your novel was only just supposed to be lightly Basilean. And, you know, we talked about the different good and bad sides that we wanted to portray with Basilea. And, um, you know, there's different orders that were going to be crossed over between the three novels. And your in Drowned Secrets actually has a reference to the order that I think, I don't know if it made the final cut for Nature's Night. I think that we incorporated it in the final draft, but I'm not 100% sure. But that's one of the, if it is still in there, that's one of the few crossovers that we have. And it's it's neat seeing how it went from this was the original idea that we had when each of us was going to like inter- interconnect ideas to now this is the final process. And those authors all came together to write this novel. And speaking of crossovers, I mean, there's a very big crossover from one of your characters, Ben. Shishra comes into this and this helps solidify where it is in the timeline. And and we need to come up with like a like a poster of all the, when each of the books happens in the timeline, because. Mantic is doing something very interesting in that they advance the storyline and they're advancing the timeline mm-hmm. and it's not always the same like same summer or whatever it is that you know certain other games have used in the past but it's it's an ongoing narrative and the story keeps advancing so Sheshra a character from Drowned Secrets is more than just a cameo she's she's a supportive a supporting role in um in Nature's Night one of the things that I, I wanted to do when we sat down and got all the authors together, I'm like, this is your chance to throw, to make your mark on this novel. Put in an Easter egg or something that you want to see so that way it helps keep the connective thread together. And uh, that was yours. Uh, Mark Barber's had his brother Mark Forces that are in that are going to be main characters in the Steps of Deliverance sequel novel that he's working on. Um, so we had to, I had to be very careful with how we played them because originally... And here's the big spoiler is originally his the brotherhood, the lead brotherhood character, or I'm sorry, brother Mark character was supposed to die. I killed him. And Mark's like, um, 
he's in my book. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, hold on. I'm going to rewrite this. And that's why a certain other character took his place in that death scene because I wanted to still have somebody die, even though I'm mostly, I'm very strongly against killing characters just to kill characters. This is one of those ones where I'm like, we need we need a Phil Coulson from the Avengers moment. We need it to be meaningful and kind of step, you know, cause this to happen. So that's why we killed off a certain other character instead. But that place was originally meant for the leader of the brother mark and that was going to be a whole big thing i had to we had to rework some of the ending of that and i don't think james put any easter eggs in to my knowledge i've i've only read the first part of his earlier drafts and since then i haven't had a chance to really interact with him so i don't i don't know if there's any crossover to claws on the plane but just just starting it i don't think so (laughs) yeah just yeah, just starting out. I, there wasn't anything that I could see. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say because I, the only other thing I could say might be spoilery for James's book, and I don't want to do that to him. <laughs> so no worries. But yeah, no, that was that was a really cool thing to, that that you brought up is that each of us got, got to put our own mark in, and each of us gets to play into it. Um, mine was Cheshire, his was the brother mark characters. And it helps solidify the timeline because this, uh, so Drown Secrets happened. This is this book happens after Drown Secrets does. Right. So Drown Secrets uh, happened like a year or so before the events of Nature's Night. It happens about Drown Secrets happens about a year before Nature's Night, and there are events in Drown Secrets that you can see some of the effects of that, namely in the character of Sheshra. And then, and I think, um, I don't know where where Steps of Deliverance sits on the timeline either, but I think it's similar. It's, time. I have to make it up. I, it was supposed to actually, honestly, I was supposed to do it before Nature's Night came out, but it was, it, I was just so determined to get this book done and published because we had been so far from the original published date that I would, I kind of forgot that that was a thing. So it will be included in the next book, which I think is, is Claws on the Plane. I, that should be included in that. I, I have it all ready for Mantic. I just have to input where all the books are. And actually Steve Hildrew did a really good job placing yes. them on his video. So one of the other things that I really wanted to do with this novel is, you know, I, I said it a, like, a few months ago, and I I wanted to find the right spot for it. But because this was a collaborative novel and, and, you know, it involved different people in the Kings of War community, I decided I wanted to dedicate this book to Jesse because, you know, just as the Kings of War community is a coming together of different ideas and people and personalities, I, you know, this book was the same thing. This book is a good representation of how of the Kings of War community, you know, different people with different ideas, with different writing styles coming together to write one cohesive novel that I, I personally think, having read the whole thing, comes together very well. And so I reached out to uh, Kyle and, you know, I asked, uh, actually, first I reached out to you, Ben, and I said, what do you think? Does this, does this read okay? And then you suggested I reach out to Kyle and I was like, that's a great idea. So, you know, I got the green light from Kyle and I just really wanted, you know, I wanted his name imprinted in these books as well, because I still just remember he, we were at Historicon, um, which is one of the conventions out in the East Coast here, and Jesse came up and bought Steps to Deliverance, and he, every time I saw him, he's like, I just can't put the book down, it's just so good. Every time I'd pass him and Kyle at the Mantic stand, he was just reading the book, and uh, yeah, he read it all in, in one 
sitting and enjoyed it immensely. So I, I really thought this was a fitting thing to do was to dedicate this book to Jesse and his memory and his legacy in the Kings of War community. The, the nice thing about, or the great thing about really uh, these Kings of War novels is that it incorporates members of the community. We have cameos from players who have a character or their general or somebody in their army that they want to make it into canon that this person or this creature exists in Kings of War lore. We, we do that kind of thing and we include the community. We seek feedback from the community. Uh, Mark Barber is constantly putting up posts about where things should go in his stories and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's very much so community driven, which I think embodies the spirit of what Jesse was all about. He, he loved this community and he, he always reached out to it. He always was talking to us about things that were going on with him and, and different projects and whatnot. So I think that, this book is the perfect tribute in a way because it was very much so a community driven project uh, from um, the ground up, basically. And speaking of members of the community and uh, crossovers, I, we actually have another community crossover in this one that appeared in Drowned Secrets is King Billiam is mentioned for the second time in a Kings of War novel. Um, <laughs> in trust now, the infamous yeah. King Billiam. Yes, uh, originally in somebody's section, it wasn't Ben. So, you know, Ben wrote, Ben introduced him, and then this person in, slotted him in. And I, I originally had a note saying, um, we already put Billiam in. Do we want to change it to somebody else? And everybody was kind of like, eh, that works. So we now King Billiam is mentioned twice. So there you go. Community nods. They will exist, and they will keep coming. Oh, I see a uh, King Billiam novel in the future. So Hey, somebody send me an idea. We can make it happen. Billy, that's your cue right there, working from the shadows. Ben, you beat me to it, Billy. This is your chance, buddy. Well, I mean, it really, why should he? I mean, he's already idol. He's already, like, commemorized in the books. He could just be like, ah, there's my, there's my claim to fame right there. You look at that page, look, there you go. There you go. Well, I'm still looking for Blaster's uh, big novel, so, you know. I... He was in Pious. I know he was in Pious, so... He can get off the boat, though. <laughs> he has more havoc to wreak across Panathor. Let me tell you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll mention something else that was kind of a – well, it's a big spoiler, and um, but it was a lot of fun working with it, was the Armor of Tides. When yes. we decided that we were going to do the Brotherhood, we, you know, we said let's play with the Armor of Tides and let's, you know, see what kind of magic – Let's let's create magic, and we reach out to Mantic, and they're like, we said to them, what what do you what do you have in mind? What do you have envisioned for this? And they're like, you guys can do whatever you want. We don't really have anything solid planned. So we we kind of talked about it in the group on what it can do and what you know what kind of powers it has and you know how we can explore it. And actually, Ben the Mantic actually reached out to Ben and said, so what did you come up with the design for it? So he created a design for the armor of tides which is really cool there were some interesting things i thought there's a lot of fun things because game mechanics give you a hint as to what how something would actually work if it were if we actually went into the world right there's a lot of different ways that you can interpret a lightning bolt right i mean you've, you've got you know palpatine's lightning bolt forced lightning or whatever uh what if it's not necessarily a lightning bolt it's just a way of describing a specific type of magic or something like that in the end of, at the end of the day how you interpret what the dice tell you is 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 up up to your imagination 
And so mm-hmm. taking some of that idea and and transferring that into into what, how something might actually be in a world where magic exists is always kind of fun because as we're developing these these novels, we're also developing kind of uh, rules for the way the universe exists or works. They're really, you know, to, to quote Jack Sparrow, they're really more like guidelines, <laughs> um, but different ideas as to how these things could exist in the world. And um, one of the things that was really fun to play around with and that I, because you know me, I can't do anything without figuring out a twist to it, is twist how the Armor of the Tides might be twisted in its use and playing around with the regeneration that it bestows upon the people it chooses. And playing around with that was really, really fun. Um, And it came up with, and it bore fruit in a very interesting way um so it was interesting because the you know one of the things we wanted to kind of set right is in the short story dylan slays an abyssal champion and it you know i got a lot of feedback you know first of all i have to say you know when i first started working on the anthology it was a lot a lot a lot of information to take in i wanted to showcase every single faction and you know, even Mantic looked at the short stories, and I think for both of us, both of us, us and Mantic, it was a lot of information to try to take in, a lot of things we had to try to make sure everything was represented properly. And there was a lot of things that were misrepresented. Um, there was male naiads in the anthology. There was a green, very, very green newbie paladin that slayed an abyssal champion in the nature's night story and so there were things that we have to fix but this is when you step into something like this these type of things happen so we wanted to kind of write that continuity error by saying yeah that whole thing didn't actually happen that was a um imagining of the bards and so in doing that that you know that sort of uh that that legend of dylan plays big into the first and the last half but then the second third and the last act we wanted to kind of always you know we want to bring in the armor of tides as being something that would you know connect with dylan and connect for redemption i mean those knights were the knights of redemption it kind of was a fitting theme to kind of pair the two together and say dylan wants to be redeemed knight of redemption armor of tides this all goes hand in hand with each other and you know we played with the idea a little bit of um Dylan not surviving the novel, but, you know, ultimately I thought the better angle was to try to have him leave on a, lead on a note of bittersweet to say he, he knows he messed up and he knows he's got issues, but he's going to try and make things better. And with the armor of tides, he's going to try to use that to guide him in the right direction. And, uh, you know, I, I had to, there were parts where it might seem the biggest issue, I think, the biggest challenge with the Armor of Tides was trying to showcase its powers without making Dylan Ray Skywalker version 2. Um, one of the things we tried to, you know, hammer home was he's not controlling the armor. The armor is allowing him to use its magic to protect him when it deems appropriate. I think that's a big thing to, like, pay attention to when reading the novel because... Dylan does use magic several times, but it's not his, you know, there's also several instances of he's trying to use the magic and there's just nothing there. He just can't use it. So the armor lets him 
use it. It's in control of his magic, if, if the magic, and lets him use it when he absolutely needs to. You know, it, it's not like he can just tap in and be like, gust of water here, blast of water there, tsunami here. No, it's like, okay, you're you're about to die. There's a horde of um, night stalkers coming at you. Let's just uh, let's just use a blast of water and kind of get some breathing room here. So it was a tough balance of trying to say, we want to showcase what the armor of tides can do, but Dylan can't be all powerful and be in control of magic. We have to try to find that balance of how can we show it off with still not making him Mary Sue version two. Yeah. That was a big thing about this. This whole story is making sure that Dylan was a flawed character. Right. Um, And, and really playing up those flaws and how those flaws, and he knows that he's flawed, um, and working up the way of whenever he's whenever he's on screen, basically, he's he's always he's he's where he wears multiple masks, and he and he wears lots of different hats in the in the in the book, but he's also flawed in ways that he knows and ways that he doesn't knows that the reader can see, and creating that character was was a lot of fun. The armor of tides presented. A- showcase just where he was on that path to that redemption that he's looking for. And it was, you know, it was a parallel, you know, to become a knight of redemption, one has to be redeemed, redeemed from what exactly? Um, And working towards that was very interesting. And building that character that way was a lot of fun as well. Um, In many ways, I really like the way that Dylan's character came out and how it develops over the course of the story because there's certain parts where you kind of don't like Dylan. He's he's kind of a jerk and he's kind of conceited and well, to to put it bluntly, he's kind of an ass sometimes. And the way that it changes, the way his character changes as the story progresses is fascinating to watch in particularly with his relationships that he has with the different characters in the story and how that develops and changes as well. One thing that I've noticed that Mike Carter has said on a couple of different of these books that have come out is even though this is based on a wargaming, a tabletop wargame, most of these stories are very character driven. And I find that to be a strength of these stories Uh, rather than focusing on building up to the next big battle. It focuses on why the characters are there and the battles grow organically from the, the strife and the, the conflicts that they are facing. And so that's something that I think is, is a strength of the Kings of War novels. And it's something that each of the writers that worked on this book brought to the foreground is that the focus was on Dylan and his relationships and his character. And that naturally brought out conflicts that required settings that kings of war would be an appropriate setting for and the battles would be a good reason for there to be a battle rather than oh it's been 100 pages we need a you know we need at least 10,000 words worth of battle in the you know for every 50,000 words of text or something like that mm-hmm. again that speaks well to the characters because that allows the readers to get connected to the characters um, it's always cool to have the Arnold moments where the guy is walking through the battle and just being a, a bad A and all that kind of stuff. And that there's times for that, but you, I really feel like you have to earn that before it becomes really gratifying. Right. And I think there's moments where Dylan 
does earn that to a certain degree. I'll say something I want to say after this, but going off of what you said, the final battle was actually something that we also tried to, uh, like, he was not a one-man army, but he, you know, we wanted to see him, like, some cool moments. And I think one of the coolest parts where the Night Stalker picks him up and he's trying to kill this thing that's trying to invade his mind. He's just stabbing and it's just not, He's still not killing this thing, and it's just about to take into his mind. But finally, he penetrates it and just is able to survive. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a few moments that he really does shine as like a, you know he's he's had some experience. He's he's been a mercenary. You know he's got um, combat, but he's struggled throughout, especially like in the early scenes with the um, with the Night Stalkers playing on his fear and emotion, his brother like stalking him. And you see this terror, this unbridled just terror that you know, he doesn't know what's going on. But um, what I was going to say was actually based off of what you were saying about the characters and everything. I, I really, really like, excuse me, I really, really like how the characters of uh, Sheshra and Amariel really played into uh, Dylan's characters. I mean, Amariel is that strong, proud elf that, you know, as Sheshra says, and it was one of the, the lines I love, is that she is his scar. And it's so true. You know, everything that happened is because of what Dylan chose to do. And everything about their relationship is based off of Dylan's choice. It's just the character comes off so well because we have that, we play, throughout the different authors, we play with that back and forth of the will they, won't they, and the, you know, there's... There is romantic, they had a romantic relationship, but, you know, that was all just shot when Dylan chose the choice he did. And how do they repair that? You know, a love story is something that's very tough to do in this setting. We worked in a setting once where, um, uh, in our Wild West Excess setting, the owner of that franchise said he wanted no romance whatsoever. He said, this is a man's game and, you know, we need, we need action. We need combat. Nobody has time for romance, but I, I disagree with that. And I think this is especially one of those novels where it's prevalent is that, that little subplot that they have going on about, you know, how to fix the relationship and how, you know, are they a couple? Are they not a couple? Or will they come back from it? Does Mario hate him forever? I think that, that really, is a nice little subplot and it's nice to see her balance out his character, especially with Sheshra too, because she's, you know, her, I see her main role as being the guiding force to try to keep Dylan on the straight and narrow and say like, you know, she's not judging him because she knows he's got his, his baggage and she, she knows that there's more going on than what she, what he's letting on. She knows that he doesn't have, you know, true friends he's got people who idolize him and that moment where they're sharing the seaweed disc together i think that's a really powerful moment to show you know she wants to connect with him and show that you know he can be himself and they can you know they can be friends and she can help guide him on the path that he needs to be on i i really think those two supporting characters came off really strong in helping to parallel dylan's stubbornness and hot-headedness yeah, you know, in the beginning of the book, though, I mean, he's kind of like the dude with the smile. He's like on top of everything, you know what I mean? I mean, he's like everybody's idol kind of thing, you know? He kind of got like a Flynn Rider kind of vibe uh, for him in the beginning of the novel, kind of if you watch Tangled from Disney, but yep. you know, my kids love that movie. Yeah, it was kind of interesting to see how that all kind of evolved, you know what I mean? And I was kind of surprised to actually see the romance part. <laughs> so in the beginning. 
Yeah, that we, we really didn't talk too much about it. I, I, I think, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we ever even talked about them having a real romance. I think we talked about they were friends and, you know, Alyssa's death was always supposed to happen. It was supposed to spur Dylan on, but I'm not sure we really talked about the fact that they were, you know, romantically involved. I think that was just once that was written, we all picked up on that and just ran with it. All of us just kind of subconsciously went cool. They're a couple play with it. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's that's how I remember. But it did grow organically like it was never. Should we make them? Should this be a should there be a romantic element of this? And none of us were ever like, well, we just all kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go with it. And and each of us played with that because there in each section of the novel, you'll notice that there's different aspects of that relationship that come to the foreground. Right. Just like a real relationship goes from, you know, the the courtship period where everything's lovey-dovey and everything's fun and you can't wait to see him again till the first big fallout moment uh, that, that that's really a tipping point in a relationship of, okay, somebody stepped over a huge line. How far does the affection and the love and the connection that they felt, how far does that stretch before it breaks kind of thing? And then once that's recovered, well, guess what? There's more baggage to go along with this. And where's that going to end up? How can they recover from this? And if they do recover from this, what is that even going to look like? Um, another thing that they play that we played with is the fact that Mario is an elf. Technically, by any human standard, she's basically immortal. His 80 to 100 years that he might live, and it might be longer now based because he's uh, because of the armor of tides or something along those lines, which makes sense. But even it's a whole Aragorn and Arwen kind of thing is when the long years of his life have been spent and you still have millennia to go, yeah. will this have been worth it for you kind of thing? And and how much suffering is she, is Amariel willing to go through for someone that, in all honesty, is only going to be around for what would be the equivalent of a decade of her life. And that's his entire life kind of thing, maybe. Yeah. And so there's a lot of intricacies that go into this relationship and that, that are that are played with throughout the story. And it's I, – I, I liked – in particular, Brandon, when you talk about the ending, I like the way that their relationship ends up. I like the choice that was made in that regard as to where they end up because it's believable It's and it's organic. It's not a happily ever after, you know, they ride off into the sunset, but there's always hope kind of thing, right. which sometimes in a relationship, that's what it's built off of is that hope, right? Right. And I think that again going back to the relationships that are built in this story i think that was a really strong one and it was done at, through all of us working together and giving each other notes and all that kind of stuff i like how it turned out and that's the thing with these type of novels is you know i'm, I'm a huge comic book fan so you know there's no such thing as there's never say die in comics basically because you know you never know what's going to happen and um i, I like when a death like i said if a death is appropriate then it's fine. But I kind of, I liked, I wanted to go with this angle of let's leave it questionable. Let's tell the story to a point where it ends and it's complete, but let's kind of leave that door cracked open where somebody could be like, 
maybe there's more to this story. You know, this is also the other thing about the fact that this is a tabletop game. You know, if you're playing Dungeon Saga and you want to create uh, Dylan's Warband, go for it. You want to make Dylan, Amariel, Sheshra, and Lothak as uh, characters and just have them as a group, go for it. You can continue the story on the tabletop and have them do whatever. I think that's that's part of the cool thing about this is with that open door, you can create your own characters and based off these novel characters and do whatever with them. Tell the story as you want to tell them. I mean, I always, you know, I when my dad used to work for Black Library, I had a Gaunt's Ghost, the Gaunt's Ghost box, box set. My buddy had Black Templars and my main army was Ultramarines. And we used to do like... Uh, basically D&D with our army sort of where we just you know tell stories on the tabletop and I remember just throwing Gaunt's Ghost in there being like oh yeah because I love Gaunt's Ghost they're going to be part of this whole story too so that's what you as players can do is just you know use these stories however you see fit in this universe absolutely and going off of that I, I if you remember I said when we talked about our hobby updates for this this episode I said I had an order of the green lady my one of the whole idea behind it is that I want to this book I'm going to build the army of the brotherhood and it's just my interpretation of it right this isn't the official one obviously but it's my interpretation of the uh, the brotherhood at East Fort. I love the description of Eastport because it's a it's a this broken down ruins of a castle in the middle of a forest, and all of the basing stuff that comes with this army that I'm building has like ruined arches or crumbling staircases and all this kind of thing. So I'm going to add some moss and some tree branches and some things like that to kind of make it look like it's an overgrown fortress, and I'm going to make a Dylan Genemar model and I'm going to make a Sheshra model and I'm going to make a Imariel model that I can switch out for my army and that I can that I can take to, uh, to tournaments and say this is this version of this army and that kind of thing and I'm I'm going to use some of the descriptions that are used in in the book to create my army for this because I love the the world that it's created of Gala here and these knights that are kind of well this is all new to them and they don't know exactly what's going on kind of thing and it, and it's it's Something that's definitely inspired my hobby and my gaming to build an army that would be representative of that. Yeah, I hope you're going to be at Adepticon next year, and I'm hoping it's going to be done because I'd love to see that. We'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying a whole bunch of new things with it, so it might take me a while. But Oh, and let's not forget Farn. Neither one of us that's... mentioned Farn so far. And, uh, you know, he's you know, a very integral character to the first part, Mark, is, you know, you've seen... Farn is the main point of view character in the first part, and that was another concept we played around. Um, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I don't remember. Originally, one of the ideas we had was each author would have a section to tell the story from a different point of view character. So you never had Dylan's point of view, and you, you would just see him through the lens of other characters, how they see him. But ultimately we decided we, we, we wanted to have the point of view from Dylan so that way he could kind of have his redemption story. But that first section still, we wanted to keep it far to kind of keep the uh, intrigue and the mystery. And the, that first section, I think parallels really well with the story that the kids are being told about Dylan and how, how he looks in his immortal bard story, which is not true. You know, he, he the story makes Farn look like the hero and not Dylan. Dylan's we purposely tried to make Dylan look ugly. 
because he's he's not the hero that they immortalized. So it was kind of like a parallel we tried to do is he's not the hero. And um, so he's not as heroic and handsome as they make him out to be. No, he's kind of fugly and he's got a broken nose and some, instead of the long flowing golden hair, he's got short black hair. He's kind of stocky. He's not as tall. He's kind of short. And so even though he's heroic in what he does in the story at the end, you know, he's living off the lie of somebody else. And that's what we kind of tried to, to hint at in the beginning with the, different impersonation uh interpretation of farn versus dylan yeah in fact i think that whole first section if i remember right there isn't once where the story is told through gillen's uh, dylan's eyes if if farn isn't there then it's through amariel's eyes or through someone else's perspective and so i don't think it's ever really told from anybody's perspective until the second act yeah not until the destruction of east fort is when uh is when we actually start to see through Dylan's eyes. And that's done purposefully. And I, I think the way, I, you know, beyond just being involved in this project, I think the way we did it was very skillfully handled. And I think that transition goes very well. Oh, very, very cool. So how are you going to represent Farn in your army, Ben? Um, He will probably be the banner bearer, honestly, because that's kind of his role in the story is he kind of is, in many ways, he's Dylan's, cheerleader in a way he's always there he's always got dylan's back and even when doubts start to creep in farn steps up to the plate he's a good friend and i think that the standard bear would be the perfect interpretation for him to be um because he's still a he's a relatively new knight like he didn't become a knight of the brotherhood until after the edge of the abyss um and so he's like by the time the story picks up in nature's night he's still uh freshly minted like less than a year as a full-fledged knight of the order are you going to make a baiting model model that's the real question are you going to incorporate him in the the army or is he just going to be like nah he's already gone is a model that i have in mind that could work that i uh, and i'll send you a picture of but it would it would be a bit of a spoiler if I described that model on here. And, I, and, and while we're while we're good with spoilers, I don't, I don't want to give everything away, right? There, yeah, you yeah, got to keep, yeah. like they say, the conversation's got to be like a mini skirt, short enough to keep things interesting, long enough to cover the topic. <laughs> I mean, and 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 and, and yes, I do have an idea that I could do for Bedane. And I'm not sure how we're supposed to pronounce that because I didn't come up with that name. So that's yeah. that's another thing that's yeah. very interesting about that. <laughs> In my head, I was pronouncing it uh, Badine, but I, I every time I saw it, I saw Badane, Badane, Badane. We're gonna have to ask James because James came up with his name. I'm pretty sure. I'd have to ask him because honestly, that's the fun thing about doing most of this collaboration over you know Google Docs and and text is. We don't hear names spoken aloud, so there's some names that we never really, really fleshed out. So that's a good question. <laughs> that's true. Well, see, there you go. See, we can get the official pronunciation guide here on Countercharge. Ah, uh, and we're gonna have to get it, you know, in time for when Ray records the audiobook because that'll happen eventually. Absolutely, absolutely. We don't want any controversies. <laughs> <laughs> it's good radio. All right, so we leave anything on the cutting room floor, or do you think we got it covered? I think we've kind of touched every area I we I can think of. Listen, if we haven't sold you on Nature's Night yet, just know that there's 
Brotherhood forces. There are Night Stalkers. There's a slight smattering of Basileans and Abyssals in a flashback. You know, there's a lot of forces that haven't been explored that we're trying to flesh out a little bit with this novel. There's action, adventure, betrayal, love, intrigue, mystery, everything. Revenge, yeah. The full princess bride thing. We got love, (laughs) revenge, heartache, miracles. (laughs) (laughs) We got naiads. We got salamanders. We got, you know, it's it's all good. So it's all-encompassing. So I'm going to encourage you guys uh, and gals to go out and pick up a copy of Nature's Night. Pick it up in Treeware, and uh, if you need a digital copy, do that as well. But definitely, and uh, you know, your support means a lot towards us getting these novels also in the future. I know we got a bunch of them in the pipeline, and we want to keep them coming. So, fantastic. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. We're going to slide into a commercial break. We're going to come back on the other side, do shout-outs, and wrap up the show. I'm Tyler Schultz, loser at Vanguard, but countercharger in Kings of Four, and you're listening to Countercharge. And welcome back. All right. Well, that was a great discussion, as uh, Brandon mentioned. If we haven't convinced you to go pick up Nature's Night, I guess we didn't do our job. Go out and pick it up, definitely. So, But, uh, Ben, any shout-outs tonight? Uh, yeah, I, I got to give a shout out to my own tournament. It's coming up in October, uh, Refugees of the Old World in Rexburg, Idaho. It's October 15th and 16th, so Friday, Saturday, which gives anybody that's concerned about travel time, um, that gives you a Sunday to, to, to get home and all that kind of stuff. And we don't start Friday until the evening, so you can even travel on Friday if you want. So it's actually less tra- or less time off that you need to ask for than the average tournament. Uh, and 2200 points it's 40 dollars, and you're about a hop skip and a jump away from uh, yellowstone it's about two hours north of us so if you want to do a road trip or if you're a nature type we got all sorts of stuff like that blue ribbon fishing all that kind of thing if you're into that kind of thing please oh yes i do have one more thing that i wanted to put in there and make sure is uh if you read this or any other of the books in this series, please go leave a review. It helps to boost the exposure and see we might draw more people into the to the hobby. Um, we might it gives us more eyes on it, um, and it helps sell more of the books, which of course is not. For me, at least, is not the the end goal. It is probably for Brandon, but the end goal is to write a good story, and it should sell itself, right? But a a good story can't be read if nobody's looking at it. And so if you have read this or any of the other books that have have come out or that are yet to come out kind of thing – Please go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble, go to go to go to Amazon um, and and just leave a two sentence review kind of thing of it was great and this is why or it was okay and this is why or this is something I think I could do it. At the end of the day, it's all giving more exposure so we can sell more books so that we can then make more books for you, all the players and everything like that, which is which is the end goal, right? Absolutely. Very, very cool. And it sounds like if you're into uh, Yellowstone and stuff like that, right, uh, you should go there for more than just a weekend. You could schedule a whole week up there. Yep. And in October, it's cool enough and most of the tourists have left and, you know, the bison petting is, please don't pet the bison. Please don't pet the bison. But, you know, the bison petting contests are over, so less, less ambulances driving around Yellowstone, too. 
All righty. And how do they go ahead and sign up for that tournament again? Uh, www.refugeesoftheoldworld with an extra E in, at the end of old and another extra E at the end of world. So refugeesoftheoldworlde.com. And all the registration information is there. I post a regular blog update leading up to it, talking about all the different trophies and the prize support and player packs and scenarios and all that kind of stuff, just to kind of feed out information about it. And it's just kind of fun to follow along. So if you're interested, check us out at www.refugeesoftheoldworld.com. All right, Brandon, any shout outs for tonight? Um, I have to give a shout out to uh, obviously the, the authors that worked on this novel with me. It's it was a really great experience. I, I think they all did. They all hustled hard, worked hard. And I think the end result is really going to pay off. I have to really give a great shout out to uh, Mike Carter. He is always he left a review about uh, Nature's Night. And he gave us his honest feedback, and I appreciate honesty, and I always appreciate him writing up a review for us. It's great to see. Um, and like piggyback on what Ben said, you know, if you've read a review or if you read a book, leave a review. It can even just be five stars and says great book. Um, but I, I can't begin to explain how that Amazon algorithm works. But the more reviews we have, the more it's seen by people who don't play Kings of War. And if you want to keep Kings of War going expanding its players the books are another way we expand the player base you know people read the books they get interested in the game so it's a win-win for all of us if we all work together on this if you didn't like it i'm not saying go and leave a five star for something you didn't like tell us honesty you know but if you did like it leave a review and you know tell us what we can change next time tell us what you'd like to see more of and we're always listening all right very very good advice and for myself i'm just going to give a shout out to uh... Just all the players. I'm just excited. Origins is going to be coming. It looks like Mike Carter is going to be putting a full slate of Kings of War together this year uh, because we haven't had that many tournaments. And you already mentioned Adepticon, Brandon, and my juice is already flowing for Adepticon for 2022. I'm just ready. So I'm just tired. And, you know, we're coming out of this, and it's going to be great to see everybody. You know, my travel schedule, unfortunately, is going to get uh, abbreviated. You know, once things change and I have uh, my daughter off in college in the fall. But, you know, I'm, Origins and Adepticon are definitely on the schedule. So I'm looking forward to those. And uh, that's because my kids love both. So I think they'd get cranky if we didn't go. So, <laughs> they're, so they're always on the schedule. Always a good time. So very, very cool. All right. And I think that's going to do us for tonight. And uh, Brandon, why don't you go ahead and take us out. Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.